Well, good morning, church family. It's so good to worship with you here on this Sunday morning. For those worshiping online, thank you for joining us. Uh, my name is Tim Park. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I do want to share some sad news that we received just uh, this past weekend. Uh, the paternal grandmother of our children's director, Christian Clark, uh, she passed away on Friday afternoon, and we, we are saddened by this news. Uh, Christian was very close to his grandmother. In fact, in recent years, he moved in to live with her. She was living by herself, and uh, he moved in, uh, lived with her, took care of her uh, in the recent days, and she had been on hospice for the last, uh, the, the last few weeks, and so she passed away this Friday afternoon, and Christian got the word uh, this Friday, and so we are uh, devastated uh, for Christian and for Hannah and their family. And uh, so we want to be praying for Christian and Hannah and their entire family during this difficult time. Also, last week we shared the very tragic news that the son of Dennis and Denise Ahern, Nathan Ahern, was tragically killed. Uh, and I want to read a statement from Dennis and Denise a message they wrote to their church family. The Ahern family deeply regrets to inform friends, family, and member care ministry partners regarding the death of our beloved son and brother, Nathan David Ahern. He was struck and killed by a pedestrian, as a pedestrian, I'm sorry. He was struck and killed as a pedestrian by a vehicle on Saturday morning, July 24th, in Claremont, California. We are heartbroken by this unexpected loss. Nathan walked a difficult journey in this life, and we are grateful that he is now at peace with our Heavenly Father. Dennis and Denise like to let their church family know that there will be a special memorial service for their son, this Saturday at 2 p.m., it will be held at the Grace Evangelical Free Church in La Mirada. And for those who are unable to attend, there will also be a link that they can provide for you to view the service online. If you have any questions about the service, you can contact our church office. Church, thank you for your love, your care, your compassion for all those in our church family who grieve. We rejoice together and we grieve together. We celebrate together and we mourn together. I thank God that I am part of a church family who understands that very, very deeply. And so thank you in advance for how you will care for these families who are grieving. Well, I'm looking forward to opening God's Word, and in a moment we'll do so before we open God's Word. I also want to let you know that I'm looking forward to sharing in communion. You'll notice the tables up here in the front. The first Sunday of every month is a day that we set aside for our church to come together and to share in the Lord's Supper. You don't have to be a member of our church to participate in communion. We do ask this, though, that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we'll talk a little bit more about that toward the end of our time in God's Word. But would you bow with me? I want to go before the Lord and ask that He would open our hearts, that He would change our hearts. And so, Lord, we come before you. 
We thank you in advance for what you will do through your word. Father, as we open your word together as a church family, open our hearts, transform our hearts so that we would be more like Jesus, to love more like Jesus, to care more like Jesus, and to be like Jesus. We thank you in advance for what you'll do, we pray in his name. Amen. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Let's say you're at Costco, Target, your favorite grocery store. You've purchased all or you've gotten all your items together in your cart, and now comes the big decision, okay? What line to get into, right? You know that feeling. You have all your items in the cart, and you're ready to check out, and that question, which line should I get into? And so here's what happens. You look at all the carts, you survey all the items and all the carts in those lines, and you make a mental note, okay, that's going to take forever, okay? That one has too many produce items, and so they have to weigh those items, right? And so that's going to add time, and so you finally come to your decision, and you enter a line. And you get into that line, and soon you go, oh no. Why are all the other lines moving much faster than my line? There's a person in front of your line who brought an item without a price tag. Yes. And so they have to go send an employee back to get a price check. And then in the middle of your line, the cashier changes. They do a change, which means you have to count the register. So that adds more time. And then there's another person in front who decides to pay in pennies and nickels. (laughs) And so you make the executive decision, okay, enough. And so you go to another line. Yes, bad, move. That's a bad move. Because no matter what, every time you go to the other line, the line you came out of, it goes faster. And you're in your new line only to see the people that were behind you out the door in the car. You know, uh, long lines at the grocery store can be very frustrating. It can try a person's patience. And patience, we know, is a struggle for many, many people. It's hard to wait, especially if we're not accustomed to waiting. If we're accustomed to giving so quickly, right? It can be frustrating waiting for a video to load on your device. It's buffering. We can't wait five seconds for a video to load. And let's face it, in the last 16 months, the last 16 months, every church in the entire world has had Wi-Fi issues and live stream issues. Things cutting out, dropping out altogether. Delays, lags. It can be frustrating. How about packages? These days, we're accustomed to getting our packages next day, sometimes the same day. So when we receive an email from the company saying, oh, your package will arrive between five to seven business days, you're like, five to seven business days? That's unheard of today. That's absurd. That's like a lifetime. Well, in today's passage, James will talk about the subject of patience. And certainly, patience applies to every area of life, whether you're standing in lines at the checkout stand, whether you're sitting in your car on the freeway, whether you're waiting for somebody to arrive who's late for an appointment. Patience applies to every area of life, but What we'll learn is that James is talking very specifically 
about patience in one area of life that goes much deeper than just sitting in line. He'll talk about being patient in the midst of trials and suffering and difficulty. He'll talk about patience in the midst of tragedies, in the midst of unexpected occurrences, in the midst of things that we have no control over. The title of my message this morning is Patience in Difficult Times. Patience in Difficult Times. And James is going to talk about what it means to wait on the Lord in the most difficult of times. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to James chapter 5. Today we'll be in verses 7 through 12. James chapter 5. I'll read to you our passage in its entirety, starting in verse 7. I'll work our way all the way down to verse 12. Here's what James writes. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now, as you do with any passage, we want to set the context for what James is writing here. I said a minute ago that yes, patience is universal. We need patience every day and multiple times throughout the day. But there's a specific reason why James exhorted Christians to be patient in this specific passage. You might recall from last week's message that James rebuked the wicked wealthy. He rebuked those who were taking advantage of other people. So in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 5, James addressed the oppressors. Here in verses 7 through 12, James is addressing the oppressed, those who are taken advantage of. Look at verses 7 and 8 again. He says, Be patient, those who are oppressed. Therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains, you also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now, it's no mistake that James mentions the coming of the Lord twice in this passage. He wanted to remind Christians then, and that God wants to remind Christians now, those who are receiving unfair treatment, those who are being discriminated against, those who are being oppressed, 
James reminded them then, and God reminds us today, that Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, he will make all things right. If you are currently being unfairly treated, discriminated against, oppressed, know this, that Jesus is coming back. And when he does, he will make all things right. As I was studying this passage this week, I thought to myself, you know, this is one of those passages that would be the perfect passage to print out on your printer and post it in plain view to remind ourselves that Jesus is coming back. Because the reality is, if your life is like my life, by the end of every day, we have forgotten that he's actually coming back. We are so busy with our days and our routines that we just want to make it to the next day and we don't remember that there's an eternal hope, a future hope in the return of Christ. You know, the last thing that we want to do is to say to ourselves, God, why aren't you doing something? Why aren't you doing something about all the evil that's out there? Why are you letting people get away with destruction? God, I'm tired of waiting, so I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Some people think, God, why aren't you answering my prayer? God, why don't I have a job yet? God, why haven't you brought the right person into my life yet? And because you haven't, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Sometimes we get so impatient in life that we force the outcome. We may not say that out loud, but sometimes our actions indicate that we just don't trust God and his timing. And we end up forcing the issue. God, if you're not going to do something, then I'm going to do something about it. And isn't this true? Have you discovered in your life that our timing is not often God's timing? And what's amazing is, more often than not, our timing is much faster than God's timing. Because we want it now. We don't want to wait. We rush on ahead only to have to wait for God. Or we rush on ahead and we don't wait for God and we force the outcome. You know, it's been a while since we were in chapter 1, so I thought it'd be good to review chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. In James 1, in verses 2 through 4, do you remember this passage? He said this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, not lacking in nothing. Did you know that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are guaranteed trials in our lives? Now, I know that doesn't make for a great sales pitch when you're presenting the gospel to someone. Oh, God has a wonderful plan for your life. It's going to be suffering and pain. 
Yes, God has a wonderful plan for our lives. And yes, that plan does include pain and suffering this side of heaven. And in the immediate context here in James 5, James reminds the oppressed, those who are being taken advantage of, that they have a future hope. And that future hope is the return of Christ. And when he comes back, he will set everything right. And then he gives us, James gives us the example of a farmer. I don't know a whole lot about farming personally. I know some of you grew up on a farm. So you know firsthand. Do you know what farmers do? Farmers prepare the field. And then they plant the seed. And then they wait. But did you know that the waiting period is not where the farmer kicks the feet up on the sofa and sips ice-cold lemonade? No. A farmer's waiting includes toil and labor, work, 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 pulling weeds, watering the seeds, making sure everything is healthy. Do you know what a farmer doesn't do? A farmer doesn't grow impatient waiting for the rains to come to the point where the farmer says, I can't wait any longer. I'm going to pull the seeds out of the ground and start eating the seeds. I can't wait. I'm going to pull all the seeds out, take them to the market, and sell. And hopefully people believe they're tomatoes. The one thing a farmer doesn't do is to force the outcome. A farmer waits patiently. And I imagine most farmers, they've learned to take things in stride. That means that they don't grumble. They accept the bad seasons as well as the good seasons. Grumbling never makes things any better, right? In fact, grumbling often makes things much worse. Look at verse 9, James 5, verse 9. James says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. We all know what it feels and sounds like to have our stomachs grumble, right? Right? They make this low, growling, rumbling sound and it's very unattractive. So unattractive that people try to cover it up by rustling paper or <laughs> coughing. Right? And right about right now, 11.21 a.m. is when we start to get really hungry. Right? Breakfast is way behind us and it's almost lunchtime and our stomachs might be grumbling. A complaining Spirit with a bad attitude is like a grumbling stomach. But not only is it not attractive, a grumbling spirit is sin. The Bible says it is sin. 
That's why the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2, verses 14 and 15 says this, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now, as followers of Jesus Christ, we know that there's a lot that goes on in the world around us that does not align with the values of the kingdom of God. We know that. But did you know that that does not give us as followers of Jesus, the license to scream at the world and force our values on those who do not know Jesus Christ. You see, screaming at the world is a sure way to make our light go dim. That's why Paul says, do everything without grumbling or dispute so that your light will shine. I'm not sure if you've ever thought about grumbling this way, but there's a reason why James included grumbling in this passage. Did you know that grumbling is a form of impatience? Grumbling is a form of impatience. You see, when we grumble against one another, we assume the judge's bench. In other words, God's bench. And when we assume his bench, what we're saying is, God, move out of the way. You're too slow. I can't wait any longer for your answer. If I don't get this off my chest, I'm going to explode. It's easy to be patient when things are going our way. In fact, that's not really patience at all, right? The true test of patience is when we've been wronged or taken advantage of. That's the true test of patience. Every one of us has difficult people in our lives, right? And believe me, I'm not naive to think that that doesn't include me and, you know, the individual. Every one of us has difficult people in our lives. That assumes that we are difficult for at least one other person in our lives. Right? We all have difficult people. I came across this statement earlier this week, and it just stopped me in my tracks. It's a sobering statement. Listen. Someone else's greatest sin is often the provocation of our own sins. Someone else's greatest sin is often the provocation of our own sins. In other words, we don't get a pass because we were provoked by somebody else. We cannot use that as an excuse. Well, he sinned first. So I'm justified in my sin. Jesus Christ is coming back. And when he comes back, he will make everything right. As difficult as our situation might be, 
We are to remain patient. That includes knowing when to speak and when to listen. And as we've been saying throughout this series, it's better to listen far more than to speak. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And in verses 10 and 11, James gives us two examples of staying patient in the midst of difficulties. Look at verses 10 and 11. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. You know, the prophets in the Old Testament, they knew firsthand what it meant to suffer, to endure. Prophets like Elijah, Elisha, Ezekiel, Amos, Hosea, the list goes on and on. These were prophets called by God to speak forth or to advocate on his behalf. By the way, some people think the only thing that prophets did was to predict the future. Did you know that foretelling the future was only one segment of the prophets' ministry? The vast majority of their ministry was foretelling, proclaiming, preaching God's truth. And the reality was, it was not that popular. Prophets were not popular in their day. You know, if pastors got booed every time we stepped off the stage after a sermon, it'd be so hard to get back up here the next week. So thank you for not booing. I appreciate that. If we heard booze every time we finished the sermon, it'd be so depressing and so difficult to make it back up here the next week. The prophets not only heard booze, they experienced pain and suffering to to a degree that we would never understand. And yet they were called by God to foretell to proclaim the truth. And they endured. And speaking of enduring, James gives us another example in a man by the name of Job. If ever there was a person in the Old Testament who understood the meaning of suffering, it was Job. If you've ever questioned how much God cares about suffering and pain, just know this. An entire book in the Bible has been devoted to suffering and pain and tragedy. If ever there was a man who honored God, if ever there was a man who was blameless, who loved his wife, who adored his children, who was an upstanding citizen, a leader in his community, not only a judge, but an honest judge, If ever there was a man who was close to God's heart, it was Job. But of course, you know the story. His entire livelihood was taken from him. His livestock, his estate, his wealth. And then he suffered the most unimaginable type of tragedy. His children's lives were taken from them. And didn't stop there. Sores 
filled his entire body. And not to be graphic, but it got so bad. His sores were so excruciatingly painful that he would break pottery and take the broken chars, the broken pieces, and scrape himself all day long. If ever there was a man who should have received blessing from God, it was Job. And yet he suffered. And here's the thing about Job's life. Things got worse before they got better. And then when things were bad, they got even worse. And even worse. Yet through it all, he did not blame God. It got so bad that his friends came to visit him and they just wept. They didn't even recognize their friend. He was in that bad of condition. It got so bad that his own wife said, Job, enough, enough. You've suffered enough. I've suffered enough taking care of you. Enough. It's time for you to curse God and die. Could we even blame Job's wife? And yet through it all, Job did not blame God. So why would God allow Job to suffer like that? Well, here's what the life of Job teaches us. It is beyond our human ability to know the answers to all the whys of life. We just don't know. This side of heaven, we won't have all the answers to our sufferings, to our tragedies, to difficulties. Job's life is an example of what it means to live in utter dependence on God and utter trust in him no matter the circumstances. You know, the one thing that Job did not do is this. Job did not force an outcome. Now, in the midst of his pain, he lamented. And it's okay to lament. It's good to lament at times. When people around us suffer, it's important that we lament with them. But the one thing that Job did not do was to force an outcome. He waited patiently. And in case you're wondering, at the end of the book of Job, it tells us that God restored Job's life twofold. He had twice the wealth. He went on, we went on to have seven more sons and three more daughters. The last chapter of the book of Job tells us that his three daughters were the most beautiful in all the land. God restored Job's life. He lived on to see four generations of his offspring. One pastor says this, Job teaches us beautiful optimism. God never lost sight of, or God never lost track of Job, and he never loses track of us. God never lost track of Job, and he never loses track of us. In church, by the way, even if we never receive another blessing here on earth before we die, blessings await us in heaven. And eternity is much longer than 70, 80, 90 years here on earth. 
If you are still waiting for something in your life and you wait for that to your grave, just know that blessings await us in heaven. So what can we do in the meantime? Well, James gives us one practical word of exhortation. It's found in verse 12. He says this, But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now, at first glance, when I was studying this, and maybe, maybe you're thinking this, you know, what does this verse have to do with the preceding verses? Why is James talking about swearing and oaths? It doesn't seem to connect. Well, first of all, we need to know this, that James isn't talking about cursing or using swear words, okay? That's not what he's talking about. Sometimes as little kids, we read a passage like this, oh, don't swear, don't use curse words. That's not what James is talking about. James is actually echoing the very words of Jesus from his Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Some people today, they use, this phrase, they use phrases like this. I swear I'm telling the truth. Or if they're really serious, they really want to try to convince you, they're like, I swear on my mother's grave. Or, I swear on the Holy Bible. Why is it that people feel the need to swear like that? Think about that. Is it because we have different levels of truth? Like, at certain times in the day, we're just giving 50% of the truth, and then when we, when we really want to tell the whole truth, we go, I swear I'm telling the truth. Like, honestly. And how about this one? I swear it's God's honest truth. As if that somehow magically makes other people believe you. The point of James writing this verse here, verse 12, is this. And I'll form it in a question. Why do we feel the need to try to convince people to believe us or to come over to our side. We saw plenty of that on social media in 2020, didn't we? We see that every day on social media, but social media was working overtime in 2020. Did you know that when we try to convince others to believe us or to come over to our side, you know what that is? That's a form of impatience. That's why James included this verse in this section. One commentator says that trying to convince others is a way of trying to make our lives better and easier now because we aren't willing to wait for Jesus to make it perfect later. 
if I don't get this off my chest, I'm going to explode. I hear the other side. So if I don't say this, they're going to get ahead. Whatever the other side is. Trying to convince others to believe us or to come over to our side is simply a form of impatience. It's not waiting on Jesus, who when he comes, he will make all things perfect. God desires us <laughs> to remain steadfast, to establish our hearts, which means to strengthen our hearts and to demonstrate endurance. Thankfully, he surrounded us with people who will walk patiently with us. Thankfully, there are people in my life and in your life who we don't have to try to convince. Thankfully, God has provided my hope is that there is at least one person in your life that you don't have to try to convince to make believe you to come over to your side. Hopefully there's someone in your life who loves you, who accepts you, who walks patiently with you in life. And thankfully we have one another as a church to do just that. In a moment, we're going to share in communion. Communion is for those who have put their trust in Jesus. If you've not yet received Jesus into your life, today could be the day. I invite you to do that today. For those here in our worship center, you'll see a prayer on the screen. For those worshiping online, you'll see that prayer on your device. If you would like to receive Jesus into your life, to follow him for all the days of your life, I invite you to say this prayer along with me. God, I want to experience your mercy today. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for my sins. And today, I give my life to him. Thank you for saving me. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you pray that prayer, I invite you to join us for communion. If you're at home, I encourage you, though you are joining us online, we would love to participate in communion with you. Go to your cupboard, gather some bread, a cracker, go to your fridge, grab some juice. For those here worshiping, when you're ready, we invite you to come up to the front, gather your element. There's a wafer on the top. There's a juice underneath, all in one package. You can gather that element, Go back to your seats, and if you could just prepare by peeling back the top, and be careful, there's a second layer below for the juice, 
want to make sure you don't spill that on you. Get that prepared, but wait, and we'll take communion together when we're all ready. So if you're ready to do so, please gather your elements. The saints in the New Testament church, they were reminded of their new life in Christ every time they gathered to celebrate communion. And these elements, the bread and the cup, they served as powerful symbols. The bread reminded them of the newness of life in Christ, and it provided spiritual nourishment for them. The cup reminded them that they had been redeemed, that their sins were covered, by the blood of Jesus. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul refers back to the words of Jesus, who on the night before he was to be betrayed, gathered together with his disciples, and he said this, when he gave thanks, he broke it, the bread, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take out the bread. In the same way, he took the cup. And after supper, he said this. This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. Let's drink of the cup. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for coming to die for us. We thank you for emptying yourself of your privileges taking the form of a man, but not just any man, a slave. And he died on our behalf. So Lord Jesus, as we've now taken communion, 
we've been reminded of the work that you did. We're also reminded that you will come back in the future. So help us to live our lives in light of that future hope. This week, Lord Jesus, help us to be patient. Help us not to grumble. Help us not to feel the need to try to convince others to believe us or to come over to our side. Help us to be more like you. I pray in your precious name. Amen.